Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, I'm Dominic Patton. And I'm Anthony DeLisandro. And this is the Deadline Podcast Hero Nation. Today, we'll be discussing Comic-Con, Black Widow, and speaking to The Walking Dead's showrunner, Angela Kang. So let's get right into it. Okay, so Comic-Con is here. It's virtual again. Do with that what you will. Um, There's still talk about this thing happening on Thanksgiving weekend in November. Again, Who's going to go? Who's going to go? All the dead turkeys in America, literally (laughs) and figuratively. Um, but let's, before we get into that, I want to kind of pivot a bit because we're right in the middle of this. As we're seeing all this happen with virtual Comic-Cons, we're seeing the return to cinemas. We saw, obviously, F9 did very well. Black Widow's come out. There's a lot more coming. Snake Eyes, et cetera, et cetera. Anthony, you are all things box office. So tell us, is this a real return or is this kind of a, a false positive we're seeing? Especially when we look at the numbers for Black Widow, which seemed to basically die in season in week two. Look, there obviously people are people are getting out during the pandemic. People want to do more things. That of course, you know, we're seeing results of this at the box office. But I'm going to go with your description of pulse fo- positive. I really like that a lot because um, you know you've got all these. You've got like Warner Brothers and Disney and that are playing around with distribution models and releasing films in theaters day and date in the home. In the case of of Disney, we know it's Disney Plus Premiere. People are paying $29.99 to see Black Widow in their homes opening when it opens in theaters. But with Warner Brothers, their entire 2021 slate is on HBO Max, free to their subscribers. So you've got this... The good news is that these studios are spending marketing money to open these films um, at the box office, but we're seeing these huge, you know, audiences are catching on. I could see this at home for free, or I could see this a second time around at home immediately. And you're seeing precipitous drops at the box office. For example, Black Widow fell apart. 68%. That's the largest drop in a second weekend for any Disney released Marvel Cinematic Universal title. But but I have a question. I have have a question for you. And I know you've written about this extensively and and expertly, but does that really matter? Like, aren't we kind of talking hieroglyphics and when we should be speaking in binary code? And what I mean by that is, is that those numbers exist in a vacuum. Yes, that's a big drop, but there's this whole other reality of, as you described the Disney plus premium, I'll be honest with you. Like, I know a lot of people who watched it like that. I know people who watched it, A, because they have kids and so they can't go to, they don't want to go to a movie theater. B, they have kids and they don't want to go to a movie theater because of the Delta variant and the rise of Corona. There are people who don't want to go to a movie theater, even though they don't have kids because of that reason. And there's also, you know, some movie theaters are open, some are closed. It's a little bit of like trying to find your your, your local spot. So I just feel like when we talk about the drop of Black Widow, 
I guess I'm a little sensitive to it because I also feel like there's lo- there's there's a little bit loaded for bear there. This is a female-led superhero series franchise, et cetera, et cetera. It, it's having all sorts of implication implications about what that could mean. Whereas what I'm what I see is like this is one of the first of a new breed, and you have to learn how this hybrid works. Well, I think the greater here's the thing: the greatest um, Hollywood business formula has been getting people to buy the same piece of content at least twice during its cycle. First in theaters, then subsequently in the home. Sometimes they'll see it in theaters more than once. This, these new distribution models are shaking things up. And I think the concern is, is that by taking the steam out of theatrical we're ma- and putting things simultaneous, simultaneously in the home, we're making things less premium. And in that, we are deflating the life, the life cycle revenue of a movie. So if we are showing it in theaters and in homes at the same time, we are essentially collapsing a window and also possibly shortening a film's subsequent uh, revenues, their, their, their tails, their long tails. So I think that's the greater fear and concern. Here they are. The studios were always like, oh, my God, we need to shorten the theatrical window because of the fact that um, we're spending too much on marketing and we're not making as much as on DVD. And now it's like no one. I mean, there's no DVD money to make now. I mean, that's right now. I think but but that's an interesting point. But that's my point to some extent. Okay, and I I, I know that we are a little bit um, one of us is maybe closer to the altar than the other on this. But yeah, I mean, once upon a time, everyone was like, oh, my God, we're going to lose the DVD market. And you know what you did because technology and audience expectations and accessibility altered. But when I hear you talk about this with wonderful uh, cadence, I might add, I also hear studio executives talk about it, which sound like whiny children to me, and to some extent. And I hear the same thing. And I, all, all I hear in the back of my shaved head is Steve Jobs. And I hear Steve Jobs on a white digital horse coming to the rescue of the music industry almost 20 years ago. And the music industry being like, no, we can't sell individual songs. We sell albums. And he's saying, and that's why everyone's pirating them. Now, I also know that there's a reality that came out of Black Widow, which Black Widow ended up being heavily pirated. And some people say, well, that's because it was on Disney Plus and they all scammed it off that. Again, pirating is a is a uh, is a giant octopus. So you can't really say which arm was leading the beast. But I do think a lot of this is. This is an evolutionary time. We just came out of an incredible year, for better or for worse. The pandemic is still very much alive, at least for the unvaccinated. Um, And so I think that transformation is the name of the game. And I keep hearing people talk about the old way, but you know what? Yeah, in hip hop, there's no school like the old school. That's not true when it comes to money. Well, here's the thing. As long as this pandemic is around, the studios have carte blanche to say, hey, we're gonna be releasing our movies in theaters and in homes. This Delta variant, more news, as more news of this sticks around, that's, that's, they're going to they're gonna really use this, this time as a means to experiment with this distribution model. And there's something else I want to bring up to you. Earlier this week, Justin Kroll wrote about Leslie Grace from- in- You mean the Justin Knights. Kroll, our scoop machine film writer? Yes, Justin Kroll, our scoop machine film writer. Um, uh, he, he wrote that uh, In the Heights actress, Leslie Grace landed the role of Barbara Gordon 
in Warner, Brother, uh, Warner Brothers and DC's upcoming Batgirl. But here's what was buried in the news. The film is going, it's going to be the first DC movie, Warner Brothers DC movie, straight to HBO Max. I found that to be extremely interesting because here we are in a time when Hollywood, we're trying to do more for diversity. We're trying to celebrate di um, diversity. You have something as monumental as Black Panther, you know, the, the first Marvel Cinematic Universe African-American movie making waves, um, you know, around the world and well, at the Oscars. Technically, actually, Black Panther is the first Marvel Universe African movie, <laughs> being yes. that Wakanda is yes. in Africa. Thank you. So here we have a situation like that being mounted for the big screen. And here we have, you know, Warner Brothers in DC taking their Batgirl and putting it straight to streaming. Yeah. I thought that was just, I don't know. I prefer to see something like that as an event on the big screen. And um, also when you're putting a movie like that, a Batgirl as a movie straight on the service, how do you distinguish that? from CW's Batgirl series. I mean, fanboys will know, but what about the, the what about the general I, public? I, I don't think, I, you know what? You bring up an interesting point, obviously leaning into Comic-Con, that's something we see a lot of on this. I don't know, I mean, you know, Warner Brothers were gonna do, are in theory doing a Flash movie and they have a Flash TV show, different people, different stories, different approach. I, I, think, I think, at least for myself in the genre space, and I, I think this is true of many, <clears throat> The more, the merrier. Now, Comic-Con, I mean, mm. well, okay. We're gonna be very quick about Comic-Con because we really wanna to talk to Angela Kang, who is one of the queens of Comic-Con. Um, it's virtual, there's some movies, there's some TV shows, there's some stuff happening, you can watch it all the time. It just ain't the same. I know why people are having these, they're doing these things online because they want, they got, a, they, they got bills to pay and they got momentum. I will actually take the reverse attitude that I take towards what we just talked about, about the movies, which is, if you want to be big, you got to be in Hall H. And if you're not in Hall H, don't go on YouTube because it ain't the same deal. I was going to say nothing beats the rumble of Hall H and body odor. No, nothing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I've been to Coachella. I've been to big concerts. I've watched them on YouTube. They're not the same thing. It is Ryan here. And I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. However, this is a natural segue. We have our big promise, our super, superstar guest of our very first episode of the Hero Nation podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Ms. Angela Kang, the showrunner and executive producer of The Walking Dead. Angela, thank you for joining us. Hey, I, I'm happy to join you for the first one. Awesome. Yeah, you're, we're happy to have you join us. Now, Anthony, I'm going to kick off with this because, you know, I love all things TWD. Angela, we are on the cusp of the debut of the 11th and final season, the supersized season of The Walking Dead. We're going to ask you for spoilers galore, but more importantly, I want to get a sense of where are you at about all this? Because this has been a long ride for you. And of course, you're going to go further on in The, the Walking Dead universe with Norman and Melissa's spinoff show. So <clears throat> how does this feel for you, like psychologically and creatively? Where are you at with all this? 
I mean, you know, The Walking Dead has been such a huge part of my career and my adult life. And, um, you know, I've got entire like life events that are framed around the show. Like my child was born like during the show and has been growing up while I've been um, working on it and running it. So, you know, it, it's really it's kind of daunting to think about the idea that the mothership is is wrapping up. We are right now so in the middle of it. Like we are we are filming, we are editing, writing, all the processes are going. So I think it's like when we're in that stage, it's hard to really like think about um, an ending that is still so far away in terms of like production and like all the things we have to do. But um, I definitely feel like for all of us that have been on the show a long time, there are just waves of emotion that sometimes hit. It's, it's really like, it's been such a massive part of our lives. And it's like, it's been so meaningful and it's been so fun to work um, on this show with the group of people that we have, which, you know, it's like, I know a lot of people like know that we call ourselves like the Walking Dead family and some fans have kind of- A lot of love there, a lot of love. Yeah, a lot of love. And the fans have just, they, the ones that have like stuck with the show, like really from the beginning and are still following now have been just super, super cool and, you know, passionate about it. And like, and just very, very earnestly, like that's so meaningful, you know? Cause it's like, there's so many times like you can be really cynical about, does it matter? Like what we do, like making television and things. And then it's like people, you know, reach out to, cast or to me or to, to anyone and kind of say like this show means so much to me and it 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 lightens my day it gives me things to think about I watch it with my family like and all of that I think is something that we carry and um, feel good about and it's it's sort of bittersweet to think about this chapter of it ending but at the same time like I'm, I'm excited to to work on the spin-off and I'm excited that there's other projects that are kind of like in the hopper right now so it's it's a giant mess, Dominic. I don't know. <laughs> well, to, to talk, I want to I want to ask you two things about that. Uh, one, <clears throat> have you guys written the finale? No. So you're not there yet. No, we have um, we have plotted it all out and pitched the whole run to the studio and the network because obviously, like, they all want to know that we have a plan and aren't making it up as we go along. It's like, no, oh my god, we're all so like type a about trying to like make sure that all the ducks are in a row well how so, about, now, now, let me ask, now let me ask you this and and you and i have talked about this too i mean one of the things about the walking dead is there's always been the process of adaptation uh you know taking from kirkman's comics etc now kirkman pulled the plug on the comics a while back but you guys are you know there's basic adaptation and then there's deviation and i don't mean that in a bad way but for yeah. instance like Norman's character, there is no Daryl in the comics. Like there's, there's a whole, there's, and obviously Daryl has become a, a, a well, the, the leading man of the series at this point, since Andrew left, since uh, No More Rick Grimes. You guys are pulling from basically episodes one, uh, issues 175 to about 183 of the comics. What has that been? And how has the process of adaptation been different being that this is the final stretch as opposed to, you know, flow? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. I think like what's interesting is because on the show, we have such a different array of characters now than we're in the comic at this stretch. I mean, like Andrew left for his his family reasons. We have various cast members that have also 
left, we have characters like Carol who have long outlasted their comic book counterpart. We have Daryl, like you said, who doesn't even exist in the comics. And so I think like just naturally, there is this process where some of the story from the comic book like no longer really applies to the particular people that we're writing for. So there's, um, I think like what we are always like looking to do is drawing from the themes and kind of like major um, events and ideas that Kirkman has because he has, he's just, you know, he just churns out like really great plot twists and turns, like really kind of like thinks about interesting new groups or like kind of like philosophies about how to deal with the apocalypse. So we, we always want to you know, do pay homage to that and be true to some of the things that really draw us as readers. But um, we definitely, we have to do a certain amount of deviation. And what's been great is that Kirkman has always been all for it. Cause he's like, I think it's great if people who read the comics are also getting a bit of a different experience on the show. So that's really get, given us a lot of freedom which I am grateful for um, because we kind of need it at this point. Cause we just, we can't do exactly the comic book. It wouldn't feel right. Like some of the stories wouldn't like line up exactly right with the people that we have. What can you tell us about the movies uh, at Universal? I understand that they're still happening, but there's no director attached yet. And Andrew Lincoln has, has publicly stated he's gonna be involved. So I can tell you very little about the movies because it's not really my lane. Like that's a Scott Gimple or AFC question, you know? So all I know is like, as far as I know, it's still under works and that sounds about right. So now you and I know about the same amount of information there. Is there any aspect of the movies with Andy uh, weaving into the final season in a way where there's some connection? I'm not saying... I mean, clearly everybody and their dog asks you, is Rick going to return? But I am asking if, you know, the, we do know from the way you guys have set up the show, certainly that there are there are parallel storylines definitely involved in this. And certainly with the jump that you did a couple seasons ago. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely parallel storylines. I think like anything that has to do with um, Rick at this point, it's all a conversation around like the movies and all of that. So that's not anything that I can really speak to in any way. When you look back, and you talked about it a little bit here, when you look back over your time on the show, and, and your time on the show has been, I mean, Angela, I don't mean to go, but you kind of had every job behind the camera that you can have on Walking Dead. And, you, and for the past few years, you've been the boss. What for you, from a creative, not as much personal, but I'm sure they, 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 they weave into each other, from a creative point of view, what has been the highlight? So far, I mean, I know you're moving obviously into final stages and I'm sure there'll be new experiences coming out of that. But so far from this, what has been the highlight for you? Because I know so many people in the industry look at you, you know, they look at a woman as the showrunner of a genre show, uh, an Asian American woman is the, the showrunner of, an, uh, of, of, of the genre show. This is the genre show that for many seasons was literally more popular than the NFL. And, and yet, and, and then continues to have an evolution in terms of its narrative, where it's actually, in my opinion, the latter seasons are better than earlier seasons. That's personal, but you know, I'm, I'm gonna suck up a little bit to you. Um, but I, but on that, with all that, for you, what, is, what has been creatively the most fulfilling aspect? That is such a good question. I you can't uh, say all my questions are good questions because some of them suck. No, I mean, well, I'm not going to tell you that they suck because I got to suck up to you a little too, right? So, 
it's um no it really is a good question and i i'm also like buying myself time to think about it a little because mm. i think there it i've been on the show so long that there have been so many memorable moments for me and i, I think it's it's also like i've talked about this with scott gimple like it's because we, we've both kind of been in this universe for such a long time and it's just memory like operates like in this really like weird way where just sometimes moments like fade in and out of of your memory and like have a heat around them and sometimes that changes over time so I, I definitely for me becoming the showrunner of the show and being embraced by uh the folks that work for me was really important on kind of a personal level i do think like we had such a fun time um creatively working on just the season with alpha and samantha morton and beta and like that was such a wild story that um you know i i, I personally found that like really fulfilling to kind of dive into that character and kind of like really some of the darkness that hit some of our characters as a result. That was really cool. I also think back to um, uh, the episode A from the finale of season four, which Scott Gimple and I co-wrote. That's where we got to Terminus with the cannibals. And just that, it stands out to me as like, that was just an episode where I had a great time working on it, just kind of all around. And like Michelle McLaren uh, directed that episode. She's just, she was wonderful to collaborate with. And I just felt like everybody was like on top of their game during that shoot. Um, even just the scouting for that episode was fun. So there's things like that that stick out to me. Like I, I loved working with Greg Nicotero. Like he directed um, his first episode on the show wasn't it, was a script that I wrote, like my second script on the show. So I have like these kind of scattered memories that for whatever reason, like those particularly kind of stand out to me as like having sort of an emotional connection but you know it's I don't know if I'm giving you a very coherent answer to this no. those are just moments that stand out for me right now absolutely Might be by tomorrow so um David Milch had this philosophy that you never give in to the audience you never give in to their wants has there ever been an instance on the show where after you've done an episode there's such a social media outcry uh against something that you guys might've done that you pivot to appease the fans. Have you ever been in that scenario? I wouldn't say that that's exactly true. I, I think for in the writing process, I think like the thing that um, people who don't kind of like know like behind the curtain, like what happens um, even on a staff with any story point that like, maybe fans find um, polarizing. And a lot of times there's, it's not even like cleanly polarized. Like it, it may feel like in um, on Twitter or whatever that all the fans are leaning one way, but then it's like you do like audience research or whatever, and it will be more split than it appears. Um, but in the writer's room, it's a lot of really smart people who are arguing all day with each other. Like it's kind of what that boils down to. So for like every single point where maybe like-, like deadline. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like for people who are like working on like this side of like writing things or like where there's pitching and whatever, there's always like fights going like, well, I don't like this because of this. The fans are going to think that. Who cares what the fans think? No, that does matter. Like, 
but I, you know, does that make sense for this character? No. Yes. Maybe. What if we do it like this? Like that's all day, like what the writers do. And so there's never been like anything where really like we've gone afterwards, like, oh, well, fuck that, <laughs> that didn't go well. So we should just totally change what we're doing. Like we're on a schedule where by the time things are airing, we're already like deep into the next story. So a lot of times like we might kind of course correct ourselves. Cause like, maybe like, as we see footage come in, we go like, oh, maybe we didn't, maybe like we're seeing something different in this than we intended or hoped for. So, you know, it really feels like organically the story wants to go that way. So there are times that we turn a story, but it's, it's rarely in response to like audience reaction. Cause in some ways the schedule doesn't even allow for that. Like, it's just, it's a different sort of a beast. So speaking of a different sort of a beast in the schedule, I'm going to kind of shift a little bit in focus, Angela. As we come to the end of the supersized season, which is going to basically break and travel over two years, kind of similar to what AMC did with Breaking Bad and Mad Men, actually. Um, maybe that's just their MO um, for the final seasons. You guys are then going into the Norman Reedus and Melissa McBride spinoff series. Clearly, lots of elements of that, of Walking Dead, the mother show, will carry on to that. Have you guys, again, no spoilers, but have you, or you're a spoiler the hell out of it, actually, if you want, <laughs> tell me everything. Have you guys, have you built the bridge? I think so. Um, you know, Scott and I, who are um, co-writing the pilot for um, the Daryl Carroll show, we have pitched Are you really out... going to call it the Daryl Carroll show? Is this like a Carol Burnett talk show? From I know, summer? right? That's just what it's called. <laughs> Untitled Carol Project. It's funny because like, it's just one of those things where it's hard to come up with names for Walking Dead series. Like I think for all of them, there's been like a lot of like uh, conversation behind the scenes about what is it called exactly? I think you should, I think you should, I think based on the, 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 the to talk about fans, what we were talking about before, based on the fact that everyone has always anticipated that Daryl and Carol will have a relationship. I think you should call it Walking Dead Love Island. Love Island. I think, you know what, that could be the title. So works on um, so many levels. <laughs> but about uh, that, really, have you guys devised, have you got a transition from the one show to the next? I think so. Like uh, we, we, we've definitely talked about like how we think we land them and like where they kind of take off to. We have pitched out um, what we think is the pilot and that's just, it's all in development, which is on its own schedule, speaking of schedules. So, um, so yeah, like the things are still in the process of being like broken by beats and and written and all of that, but it's we we at least have a plan, which hopefully will I'm gonna knock on my desk, which might not even be real wood, but you know, hopefully it'll work out. Oh, with Comic Con, what any any special teasers or plans going on you could tell us about? Oh my God. So I'm not sure what I can say about Comic-Con or not, but there will definitely be some reveals um, for the audience. Obviously, like, you know, we, we will have like a panel with uh, a good number of our cast members. We did it virtually this year, which is interesting. And, um, you know, we'll start showing some footage from the season, which I'm really excited to share. Like we kind of, you know, get to kind of come in with a bang. So I'm really excited to, to share what we've got going on. Angela, uh, we're going to wrap it up and we really, really appreciate it. But I have to ask you kind of based on what Anthony said, you guys have been doing Comic-Con for a long time. Hall H, now you're doing a second year of virtual Comic-Con. What's been your favorite?
favorite Comic-Con moment? Favorite Comic-Con moment? Oh, you know, I've really, I've loved being in the audience at Comic-Con actually, Ah. like before I was ever in it, like just, I remember the first one I went to, this was for season two and it was, you know, like the show was big for AMC for sure, but it hadn't yet like kind of blown up to the level that it, it started to in season three. But I'll, I'll just tell you that like being in the audience and like watching and there was just such an electricity in the crowd. And that was really, really exciting. And I remember going around that year, hanging out with just um, Stephen Young and Lauren Cohan had just come on the show. We were all just like hanging at Comic-Con. Nobody like, like really like recognized them and, and stuff yet. So we could still just kind of- Which would not happen more. today. Well, no, otherwise. like they would, they yeah. started to get mobbed. Like you guys are like the Beatles that. in Hollywood when it you're was, at Comic-Con. It's nuts. Like they, like in a good way, you know, but Stephen would every once in a while, people would be like, hey, Glenn, but it wasn't like to the level that it became. So we just were able to like enjoy Comic-Con that year. Like the, the writers that were there, the actors, like we just kind of like, we got to check out the booth and look around the floor and look Angela, at- Angela, I don't mean to drop you, but I just have to say one thing. I believe that Stephen is legally known as Oscar nominee, Stephen. He <laughs> is, Oscar nominee. It's his legal yeah. name now. Which is amazing. It's, I, you know, he's so great and I'm so happy for all his success and that movie is fantastic. And I just saw that he's in the new uh, Jordan Peele movie, which I'm so excited about. So, you know, Oscar nominee, Stephen Yen, who knew? It's incredible. Could be next. That you know, I find that that that's amazing about about the kind of anonymity. I I guess you know for you, there's a degree of that because you're the the showrunner. Um, is that something? And I know I said my last question was going to be my final question, but this is actually going to be my final question. Okay. <laughs> is that something you miss? Like you know, because it used to be nobody knew who the showrunner was. Now showrunners are you're a part of the public persona. Do you, do you enjoy that? Or do you wish that you didn't have to spend your time talking to, to idiots like us? <laughs> you know, I, you know what I enjoy? I do enjoy sometimes like getting to talk to um, uh, fans who are just really nice and respectful. Um, I, you know, I think in terms of press, like everybody's generally cool. And it's, I just try not to think of it too much as a, as a uh, interview and just kind of like, I, I enjoy being in conversation with people. So I've, I've actually really enjoyed doing types of articles that are more like weird philosophical think pieces in some ways that aren't even directly about the show. Like that's my favorite kind of stuff to, to talk about. Um, but it is strange um, to occasionally have somebody like kind of come up to me like at the airport or uh, at a restaurant in Georgia and things like that. And, and I know everybody's like very well-meaning. So it's, there's nobody that's been creepy or anything like that. Like at least in person, I have gotten the weird stuff on social media that I don't love and yeah, yeah, we won't talk the about report, yeah. but, um, but you know, it's like, I think everybody's like very well-meaning, but sometimes I'm just like, 
oh, I wasn't expecting to talk to anybody. Like I want to be in my introvert bubble today. So that's been just, I think, strange. Uh, I think it is very much a product of the particular time and place that we're all in in history and it'll probably change and that's fine too. You know, I'm just going to go with the flow. Well, thank you so much for going with the flow with us today, Angela. Ladies and gentlemen, Angela Kang, showrunner of Walking Dead, massive Comic-Con star and all round awesome person. Thank you so much, Angela. Thank you, Dominic. Thanks, Anthony. It was super, super fun to talk to you guys today. So thanks for listening to our inaugural episode of the Deadline Podcast Hero Nation. Now make sure, as well as listening to us now, you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or all those other platforms so you never miss an episode of our genre fest. And of course, you can find all of our breaking news coverage of TV, film, business, and everything affecting our industry at Deadline.com. With that... We will see you soon, superhero fans. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.